we all know about mob psychology. Um, part of the allure of being a fan is that you lose some of your own personality. You become part of the whole. So I think from a principled or philosophical point of view, some of the data analytics that we're doing is just we're measuring the wrong stuff. We're trying to understand Tinas LaRue, the, uh, the, the individual. Um, what's his, what does he earn? How many kids do he ha- does he have? And um, those kind of things and trying to make predictions based on that. But the reality is the way I act when I'm in that heightened state of emotion at a sports event is different. So it's more important to understand that collective um, if you want to make business decisions. And I think that, that that's a great opportunity in the next couple of years is understanding those organisms. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us once again. And this week we are live in St. Louis. So at the NHL All-Star Game, coming to the town, lots of hockey fans roaming around here, some interesting fan activations. And we were lucky enough to grab Tanis LaRue, founder of FanCam. So as you'll hear, Tanis is uh, originally from South Africa, relocated to St. Louis recently, and is leading his business from here, attacking the North America market. So we discussed Tunis's uh, work building FanCam, which is high-resolution images of entire stadiums, which create instant fan engagement used at the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, the Rugby World Cup, and a host of other global sporting events. We talk about how these create authentic viral fan activations, but how that fan engagement piece also involved to understanding the psychology of fandom and then telling teams much more about the demographics and more information about who's actually in their stadium. From there, we talk about what it takes to succeed as an entrepreneur in sports technology. Tonis shares uh, a few of the battles that he's had along the way, but also the successes. So for anyone working in a sports tech startup or thinking of getting into it, some great tips in this episode. As always, check out sportstechfeed.com for more episodes and show notes. If you've got any ideas uh, for guests or you want to learn more, then please contact me at thomas at sportstechfeed.com. Always love hearing from you. And here's Tynus. Welcome, Tinas LaRue, co-founder of FanCam. Thank you. Uh, great to have you here joining us in St. Louis, uh, in the great state of Missouri. Correct. So, your new adopted homeland. Yes. And before we dive into that and how you, as a South African, um, which will become very apparent with the with the accent um before we talk about how you managed to translate yourself here can you explain a little bit about uh what fancam is and the problem it's solving i can try um we started out about 10 years ago so a lifetime or two ago and our speciality is high resolution fan photography so we basically figured out a way we like taking pictures and we like taking high-res pictures and we like sport and so we combine those things essentially figured out how to take these really high resolution 360 images that allows you to zoom in and find yourself in the crowd irrespective of the size of the venue so to give you an example coming up here in the next month we're doing daytona 500 for i think the sixth time and we can take a picture that anyone who of the 100 or 150,000 people who attended can go find themselves share that on facebook and twitter and prove they were there so, taking a photo of a stadium um, mm-hmm. and then being able to zoom right in uh, to anyone in the crowd at that point and it looks like a, a professional photograph taken a few meters away. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, that was, we figured that out about 10 years ago 
and applied it to sports and because we were the only people to do it back in the day um, we got some cool invites so we've done the super bowl stanley cup final um, nba finals uh, final four uefa championship league final a couple of times rugby cricket world cup so everything that that's on the list essentially um, we've been able to do and um, but also then the fun stuff is actually um, duke versus north carolina and all these, these things that I didn't know about growing up in South Africa. But the, the, the key thing is this. It's a, um, s- it's a self, a branded selfie for everyone that attended the event. Because essentially, you go there, you zoom in, you find yourself. You went to the 49ers game last week. We did that one. You zoom, it out, uh, zoom in, you find yourself, share that with friends. And then the 49ers logo goes along with that. And SAP's logo go- goes along with that. So it's a, it's a great viral way um, to engage with fans. They're happy about it. And brands get authentic engagement numbers as well. So it's, a, as you said, authentic viral fan activation. Yeah. And kind of speaks to the need that we all have to see ourselves. And, and, and well, you know, that's a good, good way of stating it. I, I think it's the need to, to say that we belong. Um, I think it's the same thing that drives people. We ju- I just came up the road here. It's the All-Star game and everyone's wearing gear. And it's a Bruins fan or it's a, um, uh, it's a Blues fan. And, and it's about saying this is, who I, this is the tribe I'm a part of. Um, yep. And I think um, tagging yourself an image or checking in at a venue, it all speaks to that, saying, hey, I'm here. It doesn't matter if the fans don't just wear jerseys when they win, they win <laughs> wear them when they lose too. And so I just say, I'm part of this tribe. Um, and it, it it plays into that psychology of fandom. Yeah, and to also, I mean, a little bit of boasting, a little bit of, yeah. you know, I was there. Yeah. And I assume there's um, also some kind of hilarious uh, unintended photos. If you're taking a photo of 100,000 people, you know, 60,000 <laughs> people in one go, there's going to be someone that's doing something idiotic. It's just a... It's just the basic probability of human behavior. Yeah, it is. Although I would say statistically speaking, <laughs> and with respect to um, Australia, um, it, it, I remember one that we did in the early days. I think I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but where they announced a photo being taken, uh, which we stopped doing in Australia because <laughs> <laughs> um, the Photoshop guys had a hell of a time. Um, was there was there just a sudden uh, lot of full moons? Uh, I think there was in, a, in, think a, in Australia in that you know I can imagine the MC the Melbourne Cricket Ground the MCG and you announced that and all of a sudden it's the middle of the day but it, there's a, if I a few lunar it was, lunar. A, it was an Aussie Rules game and I I think. More than ten percent of the crowd flipped us a bird. <laughs> the, the good thing about that is that if you Photoshop out the middle finger, it looks like a lot of people having their fists in the air, basically. So, but it, it required a lot of work. <laughs> I was going to say Photoshopping out, um, That's what, work, man. say packed MCG, hundred thousand people, ten percent, ten thousand people. 10,000, or it could be 20,000 birds if, if people are giving the double as well. <laughs> exactly. So statistically, you're not sure what it is. But I think the thing that surprises is the amount of kids doing it, <laughs> to be honest. Anyway, um, so yes, we've seen a fair share of interesting things, um, but um, yeah, it's usually usually um, just, just fun. And how do fans engage with that? Is it, do they do it, um, like what's the processing time and all that kind of stuff? If I want to, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, I know I'm at, um, you know, the, the Cardinals game mm-hmm. over the road here. Um, which I, yeah, you showing last night is a client. Um, so takes a photo. How do I then engage as a fan? So um, our focus is not on pushing our brand; it's helping the teams. We have the client is to do that. Um, so they'll be in charge of um, engagement and, and promotion. 
because we can take a really cool picture, but if no one knows about it, no one will engage with it. So, but there are uh, best practices. So we'll uh, help the team and say, look, this is what your Facebook post should look like and um, send this out in the emailer. And as soon as they do, then the fans take over from there. So they'll get, um, depending on their the strength of their social channels, they'll get a uh, 10,000 people going in and then that 10,000 will generate another 90,000 um, because the fans then tag themselves, they share that and that then just goes. Um, so usually we want to, kick off the next day um but we, we we sometimes like at the patriots new england patriots we've got installed cameras there we we kick it out before the end of the game so in the fourth quarter there's a there's an announcement um say hey go find yourself in the fan cam and then the patriots fans go crazy um and that's been that's possible because we've been capturing them for like five seasons now so it's just part of the game they experience yeah, so there's an understanding from everyone that they will be on the fan cam. Exactly. It'll be there after the game. You'll be able to go tag yourself. Like that, that if you go to Disney World you, on the ride, there's, there's going to be a camera there, smile, and you can decide if you want to buy it later. In our case, you don't have to buy it. You just engage. It's free. But in that engagement, um, uh, the Putnam Investments, who's the sponsor there, they get their mileage and um, um, positive brand association. Yeah, definitely. And so that's that's kind of where you started, and and in those uh, those large scale photographs. And where is the kind of next evolution of that? Well, the interesting thing about that is um, that about we may <laughs> we've got a no problem at all. So in terms of the evolution of the company, um, we're still doing that and, and quite successfully. And really interesting, what we found is 10 years ago, people said, oh, yeah, this is cool. It's a gimmick. Um, it'll go away. Engagement numbers will fall. We haven't seen that at all. I mean, we're a decade in. If you think what, what has happened, and I mentioned the 49ers. We did the NFC game, uh, championship game last week. I think there's 130 or 140,000 uniques on that. So more people went and looked at the fan cam and actually went to the game. Um, and the reason for that is what we spoke about earlier. It's not really about the technology. It's about, it's the same things that drive fan affinity and, and stuff like that. So that's going on, that's working well. Um, but then we we added another uh, a string to our bow. A couple of years ago, we realized instead of just sending a photographer to these um, 10 pole events, how cool would it be if we captured every game at the Cardinals? Um, but for that, we needed to develop uh, remote control um, camera technology, which we then did. And so we, today we're installed in 10 venues here in the States and another 5 to 10 being announced soon. Um, and and th we'll have permanently installed cameras that just uh, capture the crowd multiple times during the game. It allows us to kick those images out um, uh, quicker and more often and at a, a lower cost. So the engagement numbers go up for, if you think, 80 games at the Cardinals. And then the byproduct of that is if you have high-resolution images, you can use computer vision to learn a lot about that crowd. You can, for instance, just say, well, this is, they've got 2,000 empty seats at this timestamp, and they've got 4,000 empty seats at this timestamp, and you can start creating a crowd flow graph, which is very helpful in baseball, for instance, understanding when fans leave. 
And you can do a general dem- demographic analysis and saying, well, we can see it's 20% female attendance on a Wednesday night and 50% female attendance on a Saturday night. So I started getting into that, and that's been a really interesting part of the business. Uh, and, and so that that data is obviously hugely valuable, knowing who is in the seats, knowing you know bums on seats, which bums are on which seats. Um, and that's data that's usually tracked through ticket sales. Um, but as I understand it, one of the issues with that is you may have reselling of tickets um, or also just um, you know passing around tickets. So you might have like a, a family that has the season ticket, but which which family members are attending, which friends, where you're reselling. So on paper, you would have the profile from that person's email um, and you know linked to all the other say social um, interactions they have. And you have a profile of that fan. You say they bought a ticket, they're there. But then they sell that ticket online to a reseller or somewhere else, and you've got a yeah. completely different fan who's and, there. And even if they don't, if it's just me taking my three boys, then um, to a local rugby game, then that team, the data they have is the average age of that fan is 44. That group's average age is not 44. There's a six-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old in there, and it means that they need to change their mu- music and, um, and and programming to to accommodate those fans. So. For us, it's not really trying to figure out who's in the seat. Um, the teams know that to an extent. Um, they've got that. It's understanding the crowd as a as a whole. The crowd as an organism has not really been studied. Um, there hasn't been really a reason to do it or methodology. So the fact that we've got a visual representation of that crowd, we can see everyone, it allows us to say, look, this is what this tribe looks like. It's always male dominant or it's male dominant un- except on Wednesday nights when you drop the prices. Or this is the reaction of this community if you change these variables. Um, and variables may be weather. Variables may be um, the performance of the team. Um, <laughs> that often doesn't have much of an effect, by the way. Uh, it may be changing your pricing or your time of um, start time and stuff like that. Uh, that That's fascinating in understanding. Yeah, things like promotions as well. Exactly. Like when you know, family or fan promotions before exactly. the game, are people coming there to, to partake in that? Um, some of the other interesting use cases we were talking about uh, earlier was uh, flow of people throughout the game, especially something like baseball. It's a longer game. I would you know associate with cricket as well. Uh, people are getting up and going getting food, beverages, or just getting up and going for a walk or whatever they're doing um, throughout the game. It's yeah. like, when are people actually engaging exactly. with it? When are, when are people breaking? So I'll give you a, a recent example. Um, one of our NFL clients, um, we did a jersey analysis because you can now, or, or merch analysis. So you can, because we've got this high-res imagery, um, we can train um, algorithms to count local team, opposing team. And um, so did that for a couple of games. And then the other thing we do is what we call this crowd flow, as you mentioned, where we say, look, this is a graph of people filling into the stadium, leaving their seats and leaving the game. And out of their eight home games, one of those just looked different. Um, people came earlier, substantially earlier. So, so the, the, the seats were filled much earlier. And halftime, a lot more people left their seats. Um, so it's really tricky w- what happened there. It's an indoor venue. It's not a weather-related and that happened to be the, the game with the most op- opposing team fans in the building. So the deduction from that is these folks traveled, so they came early because they want to make sure they find their seat. They don't know exactly where it is, and <laughs> maybe they're drinking more beers half-time because they're all using Uber to go home. Um, 
So it's, it's new data, but so you may know these things, but um, you don't know to what extent, and that's the real value here. We now know that when that they're playing that team, they can expect 20% more people to be in the building an hour early. Um, are they planning their concessions accordingly or, or are they leaving money on the table? Is the fact that they're going, all going for a beer and a half time because they couldn't find one before the game? Uh, it, it's early days, but it's fascinating to see these macro trends in terms of fan movement, fan demographics, um, and, and to apply to, to, to help teams create a better fan experience and, and run a better business. Yeah, I really like that concept of the crowd as an organism. Yeah. You know, the way it, and for anyone who's actually been to a, a packed stadium, like a sold-out stadium, it does feel like that. It kind of breathes and, and ebbs and flows and the roars and everything else and the reactions. Um, and being able to have that captured at multiple times so you can, um, you can see how it is. And, and that's exactly the point because um, we all know about mob psychology. Um, part of the allure of being a fan is that you lose some of your own personality. You become part of the whole. So I think from a principled or philosophical point of view, some of the data analytics that we're doing is just we're measuring the wrong stuff. We're trying to understand Tinas LaRue, the, uh, the, the individual. Um, what's his, what does he earn? How many kids do he ha- does he have? And um, those kind of things and trying to make predictions based on that. But the reality is the way I act when I'm in that heightened state of emotion at a sports event is different. So it's more important to understand that collective um, if you want to make business decisions. And I think that, that that's a great opportunity in the next couple of years is understanding those organisms. Yeah, the fan over the individual. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, that's kind of where you are with FanCam at the moment. And as I mentioned at the beginning, St. Louis, yeah, long way from where's home originally? Cape Town, South Cape Africa. Cape Town, South Africa. Still is actually. I'm, I'm living a, a double life. Um, so it, it's, um, uh, I think, half the year, is, turns out about half the year in Cape Town, half the year here, and um, the other half, the third half traveling around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the family's back there at present, but they'll be joining me here in the second half of the season, or the year, um, but they spent six months with me last year, so um, living living in different places at the same time. Yeah, so what brought you to St. Louis? Um, initially, it was um, we have the Cardinals here as a as a as a client, and and then I met this guy at Stadia Avengers. Um, Tim was the, was the first contact there, and we so that's that's Tim Hayden. That's correct. Yep. Um, and and um, Tim and I started talking, and he said, "But why don't you? Given that we've had this transition from let's say content company to data analytics, um, you wouldn't think being." Being in the business for 10 years, um, uh, that we'd fit into Accelerator. But luckily, if it comes to things like that, I don't have an ego. Um, a few other things I do. Um, but but I thought it made sense, you know, that we're, we're essentially going down a new track here. The contacts I had within the content industry, sports industry, is not the guys. I didn't work with the data analytics guys. So get some people around us. And I really liked um, the culture of stadium. Um, there, there's some correlation with South African way of doing things, the Midwest, um, people care for each other, there's, there's kindness and intelligence, you don't need to be a, um, you don't need to be an asshole, um, which, which I really like. Um, so we applied, and then we were lucky enough to get in, and so I realized I had to be here in St. Louis every second week for a couple of months, and thought, she used to travel, I did the first few, just flying here and flying back, but 
And they said, well, let's, let's make the jump and, and bring the family over. So that's how we ended up in St. Louis. And we absolutely loved it. I mean, um, more so than we thought. Uh, kids loved it. Uh, and it was just a great time for us as a family. And how was it for the business going through Stadia? It was good. Um, it actually was great. Um, look, uh, no accelerator program is perfect. Um, it, it's like finding investors or partners. It needs to be a fit. But for us, it was a great fit. Um, I really enjoyed um, the, the, the folks working at, on the Stadia side. And I think equally so, the, the, the other members of the cohort. Um, we just struck gold with a couple of personalities and businesses that even now, I'm, I, I saw some of the guys yesterday and we, we're all chatting on a um, next week again. Um, I'm almost more excited about their businesses than I am about mine. It's just good people trying to find their way and build businesses. And it's just amazing to see how different personalities do it. So that part has really given me a, like a, a family, family feeling. And it's interesting the similarity between founders' journeys um, yeah. across different, different you know, areas, very, very, very different um, areas in exactly. sports technology, you know, performance and business and every single subset in, in between that. Um, but really, the the founder's journey, and that's something that we spoke to um, Kaylee from Blinder mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago about, who is uh, also went through Stadia, so kind of echoed that sentiment. Yeah, and look, and to me, from an almost academic point of view, it's really interesting because we spent this past week looking at the new um, pitches, new ten companies trying to get in. Um, I'm sitting there, and I'm a, I regard myself as an industry expert to an extent. Uh, or at least I have deep industry knowledge. I've made enough mistakes <laughs> to learn from them. Um, and I can't make a judgment call if these companies are going to make it or not. Um, and they all have great ideas. And you look at the founders and say, do you have what it takes? Do, or do you know what it's going to require? Um, what do you think that is? It, 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 I don't think there's a single thing. There's more ways to do this. It depends on your definition of success. I always look at, mm, oh, this may be controversial, but remember after Steve Jobs' death, he was idolized to an extent, um, and people couldn't separate the fact that, I don't, th- I don't think for what I learned he was the type of role model that I'd like to follow in terms of emotional maturity and the way he w- worked with people. It doesn't discount the fact that he's a bloody genius, yeah, definitely. That uh, he that he changed the world, and exactly. as we know, and he was he was brilliant. But he's the last person you want to work for. Exactly. So so, but that doesn't. That's not right or wrong. It's just um, he got it done <laughs> to an extent that I will never get it done. But um, I don't want to model my. If you ask what you need to get it done, well, maybe it's you need to be Steve Jobs. But there are different ways to do it, um, and we see that in sport as well. We see that in. Um, different personalities you get the, the absolute alpha male that's just unbalanced and just goes for it and then you get the very thoughtful philosopher type that competes with him and sometimes wins and sometimes loses so hmm. I don't think there's one thing but what I will say is you will not get it done without determination and that de- determination may be um, a false belief in yourself it may be unhealthy psychology or it may be how it doesn't matter it, it's going to you just need to not stop um, because you're going to get hit. Um, so that's definitely one thing there. And then, then from there on, th- I think that's the fascination, that it takes different types. 
you know um and there are easy ways to do this and and, and and difficult ways to do it i've i've done it the difficult way um i built i built organically i'm not traditionally not good at raising money because i <laughs> maybe it's a south african thing i undersell myself um I'm just just men- rattling off the names of the super bo- the stuff that I did earlier. It's that's thing something I do every day. I don't, I don't like doing it uh, because I don't think it's important. I think what's important is the things that aren't seen. If you ask any of the people that w- that are currently working at FanCam who have w- worked at FanCam in the past, um, they will say they worked really hard, but they felt part of a family. They felt looked after within the means that we had and was a good environment that to me is much more important than the super bowl yeah which is the definition of success it's the yes but that doesn't you, you don't want to be to be wishy-washy the fact that we've got such a that we do these things right on a team level allows us to perform on the field um and, and there's a good analogy there with with sports the way we we, we we practice hard and we work really hard but we're at a point now where we don't need to have discussions about line management and stuff like that. Everyone need, knows what they need to do, and they do it. We've got a really slick team. Um, so now I can do more Super Bowls. Um, so those who's, it's not just a wishy-washy thing, but uh, your question was, is there a, what do you need to succeed? Well, first is your, what's your definition of success? Um, the second is that uh, determine there needs to be, you need to be able to take knocks. Um, in a way that I I didn't expect and, and, and I knew there would be knocks but some of the knocks that I had to take and my family had to take along this road have been too hard you know you get to a point where you say yeah no, <laughs> yeah, I want to crush it at this entrepreneur thing and be on this yeah. but no that price is too much so. and that's something else that I, I see and I kind of personally rally against is the um Oh, is it like the the hustle porn? Like the, yeah. uh, the, the I'm working, you know, 80 hours a week and I have no life and look at all this stuff I've sacrificed and how amazing the grind and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff, um, which gets confused for, gets confused for success um, before actual success, if you know what I mean. And, and yeah. also it gets, uh, hard work is undoubtedly and the resilience and all that kind of stuff, but um that doesn't necessarily I think mean that like you, need, hard to, you need to hate it. As a given, um, is the one thing. And, and you're right. There's a d- there's a tricky thing there on the on the <laughs> what did you call it? Uh, uh, hustle it's like like, uh, like hustle hustle porn or something like that. <laughs> like awesome. it's it's just the yeah that uh, or like the classic one on LinkedIn is is some random Steve Job quotes over like an inspirational man uh, yeah, and cool, then cool. someone saying that they've um it's very the entrepreneurial um entrepreneur dude. That's all awesome. buzzwords just coming That's at you. That's awesome. Uh, no, no, and, and there's the problem is part of it is part of it's authentic. Um, sometimes I'm hustling. I'm s- I haven't seen my family in a month, um, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the 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 question is that's my choice. I can I can clock out at any time. Um, so I think sometimes people need to just just take it and get it done. Um, but other times, you you, you want to be. I think back to the why stadium was good for me is you, you get a closed environment where you can be honest about this and saying, "Geez, I can't take that," or "Should I be? Does this pain stop?" <laughs> and then someone else can tell you, "Yeah, yeah, it, that that pain does go away." Um, uh, and you need to find balance in these things. So, 
I'm jumping around. It's 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 a bit paradoxical. Um, you got to be able to to grind it. Um, but for me, I think I'll give you one example. I, I met a guy last night who called himself the failed interme- failed entrepreneur because he he gave it three or four years and couldn't raise and you know, business closed. He just decided he didn't want to. I can't remember the numbers. He want he needed to raise like a million and he had 300k and he knew what it would take to get the other and he said no he stopped i said dude that is so you know your limits um i may have pushed through those things but i've always also paid the price for that now now in my particular case i'm lucky because i've got a wonderful wife and my my family setup is a is a is a really a, a haven for me so i could recover but everyone doesn't have that and that's where you get this imbalance in some of these successful entrepreneurs. Gone on a bit of a tangent here, but no, no, no um, that's that kind of leads to another um, point that we're discussing uh, about uh, investment. And so, something that uh, in Stadia, so we were judges yesterday and the day before at the um, the Stadia Selection Day, and and obviously Stadia Ventures. Um, I've talked about them before. I'll in the show notes. I'll include another link, and I think they're probably the best in the world at what they're doing in terms of accelerating sports technology companies. Um, but one of the big questions is, how can Stadia help these companies? And a lot of the time, these companies don't need investment. A- and not in the sense of, I mean, if anyone was given a bunch of money, they could do something within a business, that's great. But they don't need investment from the point of view of, they don't have a high growth you know, SaaS or software company, whatever, that's going to hockey stick like an investor wants to see. It's not going to be the next unicorn. It's a fantastic business. Maybe they need some bridging finance, a bank loan, something like that, that they can build it and then grow it kind of organically. They don't need the weight of an investor and the expectation of 10x, 50x, 100x growth. And that's that's the, I have a passion for that because I think um, the only businesses, we can't be in a scenario in tech where the only businesses are going to be unicorns. I think that breaks the, the, the infrastructure. The counterpoint to that is you don't really need to accelerate it if you don't want to get that hockey stick. So for me, it's about honesty and, and being able to articulate these things. So if you walk into a, a fund scenario, um, that, that can be articulated from both sides and saying, you know what, we're looking for a 10x. Um, and we don't think you're a 10x. We think you're a solid 2x. Um, so this is what you should go do. Not just um, the, no, a no from us um, and, and then you go on. Because um, I, I see a lot of businesses that are solid businesses that don't get investment because it's not a fit. And the, 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 the person on the, on the entrepreneur side doesn't understand the world of the investor. So that's one of the things that I, I've, I've learned now is I really want to understand the world of the investor saying, right, you're in this category you're a VC or you're a growth fund or you're whatever you want to call it. What does that mean in your world? And where are you in your cycle? Because that's important. Because often you sit there and it seems like a fit and they, they need to see you because they need to keep deal flow open, but they've already allocated their fund for the year. And you don't get the deal and then that's just one of those like, oh, they really like me and they didn't invest. And so it's got nothing to do with you. And I think that level of honesty, you'll never get it, but um, because of the, 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 the type of industry, um, but I look for folks that can have those discussions where I can say, 
met a guy the other day you're a stadio who I pitched a while back and I was it wasn't interest when we had beers the other night I understood where he's at now we're just not a fit for them so I think not wasting your time with those discussions that's the most valuable thing and um, just it's beneficial for the for the founder but I wish from the funding point of view that we can see and this is generalization we can see that level of maturity there as well because that they will not need as many 10x investments if they make better calls and they will make better calls and won't be duped as often you won't get get as many we works and and others if if you or you hope you won't if you have those type of conversations yeah so that honesty and communication yeah. and yeah and i think that that point as well as understanding what you need is that you may not need a few million dollars in, in venture you might just need some connections and exactly. all that kind of stuff. So, but on the, on the positive side, is it's always it's easy to find. Um, it's Jack Elkins the other day that said, um, uh, just talked about how we're designed to look for the negative or for the risk, and we're doing it to an extent now. I can look at the industry and say, this is wrong, this is wrong. That's relatively easy, um, but there's a lot right about it. Um, uh, w- what I've found now is, I'm an outsider. I've always been. Um, even where I'm from, I'm an outsider um, because just the way my brain's put together. But I've found a bit of home in the international community working in sports. Um, uh, fellow Australian, Sean Callan, and um, got fr- friends in, 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 in Paris and London and people I've met at conference over years. And, and, and some of the riffraff fall away after time. But you, you, if you've been in something long enough, you realize, oh, this, this guy's the real deal. Um, and um, I've made some great friends um, in the industry. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the other thing that I really like about Stadia, for instance, yes. is they are truly international, which is something that's, um, that's, that's pretty important. But we were talking about this last night, that uh, North America as a market, biggest market in yep. the world for sports technology and also in terms of capital markets and things like that, where do you think the importance is for the rest of the world, if we can call that. The, the rest of the, I think it's something like uh, it's like 46.8% is the sports tech market centered in the US of the oh. global market. That's that's the latest stat I read from the end of last year. Wow. Again, those figures are all a little bit, you know, massageable. Yeah, it's, it's and a, it's a, it's a y- you can round up, round down, but roughly that, that seems to be... Um, so your question, what the rest of the world should be looking at? What What is your advice as someone from South Africa developing a global business having relocated to north america is it focus on your your home market or is it go where the money is straight away um or is it some something fused between the two i don't know if i have an answer to that um i think the principle would be similar to what we spoke about earlier is fit for us um our business only works at scale south africa doesn't have that scale so there's no decision about being local and loyal and it's just that if you count the number of full stadiums in South Africa in a year, we can take five pictures. <laughs> that, no, that's it. That's it. It'll be great pictures, and we've taken some of them, but I can't run a business on that. So mine is a mathematical, um, if you look at the States. I mean, for me as a South African coming to the States, understand, I still don't understand the size of the American sports market. If you look at some of the numbers, or just... I remember us shooting some college football games on one weekend. We shot three games. We captured 330,000 fans in three stadiums. It was Michigan for 115 and 
um, Ohio. It's it's insane. And if you look at that, I think the Michigan example is it's something ridiculous, like 150 sold, consecutive sold out games. No, yeah, exactly. That's not a once off. Like no, a, no, that's not from the team Australia, well. the Melbourne Cricket Ground is 100,000 yeah, for yeah. an AFL Grand Final. That's every week if the weather's good. Uh, once a year, whereas this is this is week in week out, year in year out. Yeah, and irrespective of how well the team does, it's just it's church. People, you gotta go and you want to go. So it, it's it's a cultural thing, and the scale of it is insane. So um, I think the US market for us is the most obvious place to do what we do. It's the it's the best fit for our technology, but um, that's because of our product. Um, if your product is something else, then lock down your vertical um, and, and say, do this well. I see a lot of these, I, I saw quite a few um, sports betting pitches, folks coming over from, from, from UK saying, look, we've done this for a while. We can help in, in the US. And I said, well, show me your track record in, in, in the UK. And they don't have any. And there's, ooh, okay. Um, actually, some. Um, so, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a balance. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely does. I think that, that product market fit and just because it's the biggest market in the world still doesn't mean there's going to be the fit. Yeah. So, it's, it's figuring out that fit first. And I, then I think it's, I think it's more, more important to understand how these markets operate. Um, and one of, if, if, if we're talking to, to founders now, um, one of the biggest mistakes I see is the assumption that US sports teams have money. Or that sports teams have money. Um, and I think what happens is as a fan, you sit in the crowd and you watch Messi play or LeBron dunk. You think, jeez, that guy's making. We know what money that guy's making. If I can work with his boss, <laughs> I'm done. What you need to understand is that um, the difference between spend on athletes and spend in the front office is, I mean, it, 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 is, it is two different worlds. It's like a global business on the one hand and a family office on the other. And you need to build your business that will work in those family offices um, or family-owned family businesses. Um, a, a, and that is a massive opportunity. But I see a lot of folks, s- some of the people pitching, saying, okay, cool. Um, I, we had the success with this one team. They didn't pay us because we would need to test it. Um, and it's a privilege being involved with Team X in our local market, but imagine there are about 200 of those teams in the US. They're all going to give us $20,000. They're not. And, and I think that's where you just want to say stop. It's not because your product isn't good. They just don't have the budget. And it's again, it's a, it's a question of fit. So, uh, it's a very uh, simplified version of it. I'm not saying don't go to sports. I'm just saying understand where the money is at um, and look at it and be realistic about it. And I think there's a massive misconception about um, what sports business is. Talk to people working in sports, sports business. They're not rich. Um, and you've yeah, got good d- people. Certainly, there's a, there's a lot of people that are, it's kind of the opposite. That exactly. They're, they're in there for the passion. They're in there for the uh, for just the buzz they get from being associated with their team and they'll take a pay cut to, just to be near the action. Exactly. And, and if, you're a, if you're a business looking at sport, you want, look, there's a lot of money to ma- be made in disruption. In, in in media in betting there's there's a lot of money to be around sports but if your product is selling to a team then think about your product can your product help them make more money if you can rock and roll 
And so speaking of that, what are some other applications that you've done outside of sports? Oh, um, we, we try and I try and stick in my lane um, because um, I found that focus is really important. So whenever we do that, um, we often deliver the same kind of thing. So um, in the early days when we were content focused, um, we did all the U2 shows and Taylor Swift and Jennifer Lopez and music festivals and stuff like that. And that market is still there. Um, did a lot of work with Live Nation. Um, for us, it's been actually, because we didn't start with a business plan um, and this is going to be trajectory, we started with a technological breakthrough and now, well, what do we do with this? It, we've always, we almost figured it out as we've, we've definitely figured it out <laughs> as we've gone along. Um, and at some point they realized, look, we can't be, we can't be non-funded and, um, or self-funded and be sports and music. Yeah. Um, just do sports. And then we realized we can't do, we were active on six continents within the first eight months working out of my garage. Um, and we did a million in revenue in that first year. And that's all great, but you just fall over. So we really came to, where do you want to be? Look at the stats. I said, right. If music comes along, we'll do it. But we're not chasing it. Um, that is going to change. But now that we're, we've had time and we've got, got proper plans, um, music does play into it. There's a lot of blue sky there, a lot of opportunity there, passionate fans, all the same um, philosophical drivers or psychological drivers. Um, but at present, our focus is the North American market. Um, in sports, in North sports, American sports. sports. Yeah. And, and, and once again, it's not a... Um, you need to be logical about it. So the benefit of sports is it is to an extent um, you can do their structure. So even uh, everything I said earlier about working with um, family businesses, music is is chaotic. Um, you've got big artists, unpredictable. Um, different touring schedules. Different personalities, yeah. different things that are important to different folks. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to predict if, if you want to disrupt an industry like that. If you do something like we're doing, uh, there are, that creates other opportunities, obviously. But I think it's a, maybe what I'm saying is, I'm talking about fit all the time. I think it's about analysis. It's doing proper ana- common sense analysis about, um, and that's where Stadia helps, but let's talk about mentors in general. If If, if there's a, um, founder or entrepreneur or even if it's just someone looking for a new job in, in, in a new area listening um, find someone that's a realist and an analyst somewhere um, not to just give you a spreadsheet but say what is it that you want to do let's look realistically at this thing I want to work with you too great you're going to go do that but they're going to tour every four years can you build a business? I want to feed my family. Yeah, then you can't go work with you too. <laughs> the Venn diagram between <laughs> working with you two and feeding your family exactly. doesn't doesn't intersect. So I guess that's that's part of what you're talking about to kind of bring all those different threads together is uh, sports, you need to understand that it's not. Uh, yes, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but in terms of how the sports properties are spending their money, it's on a shoestring a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so especially about innovation and new technologies and taking that step into the unknown uh, you need to price it that they're going to fit with that and also that it's like you said a lot of these are big family businesses but still family businesses so the way that they kind of do business and look at that um, comes into play so it's it's understanding that and then still that doesn't mean that growth avenues into say media entertainment aren't there but you need to uh, 
you need to really lock in to exactly and, and then to sport. the other opportunity is to say that if you're using sport as a platform then that makes sense then go <laughs> i don't want you to go lose your money but <laughs> i mean then see there's a marketing um because sport is unbelievable in its ability to um as a marketing platform if i walk into a r- um a room and say i've got this idea of a applying high-resolution photography for this for market X. Here's my track record. I've done all these things. That counts for a lot. So I, I think um, I get excited about businesses that can help sports, um, but then can have other applications again. Um, so so that, that's where it becomes a, a wonderful place to work. Cool. Well, I think that's a good point to, to kind of round it out. I'd say final question for you. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time wow um i must say that the, the, the recent world rugby world cup um was high up on that list i've had a few before but i think the fact that at this age i could get so excited about that um it was just it was just beautiful um i've been a chesland colby fan since i saw him in 20 under 21s um, uh, the winger that scored at the end for those who don't follow rugby go search Cheslin Colby I'll, I'll include a, a link in the show notes I, in fact that. what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll include a, a link to my analysis of it um, a, as a fan um, it's a thing of yeah, beauty yeah that'd be great uh, I've got just a thing for the underdog Cheslin Colby weighs 160 pounds and he's playing against these brutes and everyone always said he was too small to play international rugby and I've always backed the guy and he, he got there and um it was a team effort, but the fact that he had the opportunity to do what he does best was a wonderful um, uh, moment. And then what it meant for the country, because it really does make a difference in South Africa um, that our rugby team does well. Um, it, it, it allows us a bit of a, a bit of a moat between. It, it allows us to to <laughs> nullify what some of the politicians are doing, because the people are great people. But like most countries, we're struggling with, with leadership. So rugby had a great role to play there. So the Springboks is a unifying, unifying One, definitely, force. Definitely, definitely. It just shows this is who we are. This is, back to that tribal thing. Or this is who we want to be. Um, I think that's what sport does. If we look at the Springbok rugby team now, we've got our first black captain, unbelievable guy. Um, we've got diverse personalities in there. Um, humble guys I look at that saying you know what I want to be like those guys um, and I think that's why all those things played into it being not just oh, we won we won. I don't I don't um, feel I don't gloat too much <laughs> too much except my English fans friends um, but it's just just for us no it's good for us to have a piece of of, of hope and light fantastic alright well Tanis thank you so much for your time today uh, we'll ensure ensure that uh, the show notes have a few of those links there so people can relive the victory and also your (laughs) your analysis and also some links to Fancam. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. And there you have it, Tynus LaRue from Fancam. Broad ranging discussion there. Some very interesting stuff, how they've taken the initial camera solution and then really grown that into a full service fan engagement but also fan analytics tool. Thanks for joining us again this week. You can check out full show notes at sportstechfeed.com. As always, I've been your host, Thomas Alomes, and looking forward to joining you same time next week.